My message comes from Acts 8, 1 through 8 this morning. I'm going to spend a fair amount of time setting the stage for this verse of Scripture. I actually want you to turn to Acts 1, 6 through 8, the verse of Scripture that we shared this morning as our call to worship. Acts 1, 6 through 8. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's verse 7 that I want to spend the majority of our time on as we set the stage. As he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the season. Seasons, plural. And it's pretty easy to understand what he's meaning by times. It's dates. It's this day to that day. But when you think of seasons, what comes to your mind? We live in a very beautiful place, don't we, that has four distinct seasons. I did a wedding this last Thursday down at Bar Harbor on the Agamont Park lawn. Beautiful blue sky, green grass, the ocean the fall colors in the background on the islands. The people that I did the wedding for were from Tennessee. I got a call a couple weeks ago that said, we're going to be up in your area on a tour, and we're thinking about getting married. Would you be willing to marry us? I said, well, give me a little bit of your background. She said, well, we're both Christians, and we're on a Christian tour, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that you have for me. She said, I'm 73, and the gentleman that I'm marrying is 76. She said, I'm a widower, and he's also, I'm a widow, and she, he's also a widower. He said, we've been together for three years. We're heavily steeped in the ministry of the church, our church that we serve at together. I said, well, you probably have fulfilled the requirements for Christian counseling about marriage. <laughs> She said, well, yeah, my first marriage was for 35 years, and his first marriage was for 42. And we've both been widowers or widowers for seven or eight years. Seasons in our life is much different 
than the changing of the leaves, than the coming of the snow, or the first flowers of springtime. It's high times in our life, and it's low times in our lives. It's things that we go through that for a season we have to live with. Daniel 2 says it this way. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the vision of the night. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. See, Daniel was relying on God for his wisdom and his might. He changes times. And seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness, and the light dwells within him. So Daniel, Daniel referred to times and seasons as the changing of kings. Here, in Acts 1, it says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times of the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own Authority. God knows. Adrian spoke of it. God has a plan. And there are times and seasons for us to go through. And this is one such time we find in Acts 8, 1 through 8. The apostles and the disciples of Jesus were preaching the good news all around the city of Jerusalem. They were preaching the good news. What is the good news? A gift of salvation, a free gift that could not be earned. And upon receiving this free gift comes the promise of a place called heaven. This was not popular with the Jewish leaders of that day. See, the Jewish leaders of that day were all about keeping the law, keeping the commandments, following the rules and worshiping God in the temple, not on the streets. These men, the religious leaders of that day, rejected the gospel message. They rejected it so much that as Pastor Scott led us through the scripture last week of Saul leading a band of men to cast out Stephen cast him outside of the city for preaching the gospel message and ultimately caused him to stone Stephen to death. Saul became so enraged at the church for preaching this message of a free gift and the promise of a place called heaven that he took it upon himself to make it his mission 
to eradicate these followers of Christ from among them for once and for all. The stoning of Stephen was the trigger that launched the all-out war against the Church of God in the city of Jerusalem at that time for that season. Remember Christ and his message, the gospel, has always been hated by the ruler of this world, Satan. The church is always going to be under attack and at war with the ruler of this world and his workers. These workers of Satan are people that hate morality, that are advocates of godless freedom. Freedom to sin in any manner they choose. These individuals and groups are becoming center stage here in America. In this season of time, in our lifetime, we want to believe that America was formed and founded on a biblical foundation with morals in right and wrongs defined, but in recent times, biblical truth has become unpopular. Unpopular to the point of being under attack. It's not good enough anymore to say, you believe what you believe, and I'll believe what I believe. Because what I believe goes against what you believe you're going to attack the people of today in today's society that Satan is using will attack people who believe in biblical truth today's unbelievers define morality by their own terms anything that speaks against them and what they think is right must be attacked and fought against and ultimately destroyed and that's where we find ourselves today in Acts chapter 8. Does it sound familiar? Does it look familiar? Acts 8, 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Of course, speaking of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The war to dismantle the followers of Christ has started. At this point, only time will tell how long and how far Saul would go to carry out his mission. The believers who loved the Lord and trusted God still gathered what they could and ran for their lives. Do you think they were expecting when Jesus said that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that this is how it would happen? that they would be attacked 
that they would be thrown in prison, that some of them would be put to death. This is how God's plan is going to be carried out? Saul, with the blessing of the synagogue, had started a campaign to do away with these followers of Jesus. I wonder what they thought. I wonder if they remembered the words of Jesus. Found in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus had warned them that this was going to happen. He told them to prepare their hearts, set their feet on the rock, and be ready for what was going to happen. The religious leaders of that day rejected him, Jesus. They rejected his words. They hated him. They persecuted him. And ultimately, they killed him. And now they're rejecting the followers of Christ. They rejected the gospel message. And they hated these Christians, so they started the persecution of the church. This was not something new. The persecution of the church, we've seen it all through the book of Acts. The church was used to facing opposition. The believers were used to facing opposition. You find it in Acts 4, 1 through 3. And they were speaking to the people and the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because... They were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were spreading and talking about and sharing the good news. This free gift. And if you receive the gift, a place called heaven. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. See, they were already being arrested and put in prison, Acts 5, 33 through 41. And then they heard this. They were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But the Pharisees in the council, but a Pharisee in the council named Gemimel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put them outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. Take care of what you're about to do to these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. 
he was killed, and all, of, all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, these men, these followers of Christ, these people who are preaching and teaching the good news. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of men, it will fail. It will fail. But if it is of God, But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Good advice. So they took his advice. They wanted to kill the apostles. But they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They were used to being opposed. They was used to being put in prison. They was used to being beaten. They had lived through this time in this season. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. This Saul steps up the cost of the penalty for speaking the good news. The free gift of salvation and the promise of heaven, the penalty for following Christ, now includes death. With the stoning of Stephen, everything changed. Pastor Scott spoke last week about the stoning of Stephen, as Stephen being the first martyr, right? Not willing to give up his life, but it was taken from him. Which was just the opposite with Jesus. Jesus was willing to lay down his life. Nobody took it from him. He gave it up as a ransom for sin for the many. This stoning of Stephen they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's how we know Saul was in charge, because they laid their garments down at the feet of Saul. They recognized him as the overseer. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling on his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Everyone but the apostles were grabbing what they could, slipping away, running for their lives, being scattered, just as Jesus had told them they would. But I'm sure not under the circumstances that they were expecting. Brothers and sisters, have you been there? Have you experienced this? Why 
Have you ever said this to yourself? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why now? If you're a believer, hang on to the hand of Christ. Keep trusting that he has a plan. And as hard as the road is to walk, he will care for you. Under the persecution of Saul... They were scattered to Judea, Samaria, just like they had been told in the books of Acts chapter 1. See, persecution always leads to scattering, which leads to the spreading of the word, which leads to people being saved. It's like trying to stamp out a fire in dry leaves or dry grass. You ever done that? It just spreads. God's word, when it comes under persecution, when it comes under that heavy foot of somebody trying to stamp it out, does the same thing. It's spread and it gives strength to the witnesses that are carrying the word of God. And it spreads like a wildfire. Acts 8.2 Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. Devout men. Good Jewish men that feared God and knew right from wrong. But not followers of Christ. We're introduced to them back in Acts chapter 2. It says... Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. These men knew that an executed body by Jewish law had to be buried by sundown. Jewish law also stated that there would be no weeping allowed at the burial of somebody who had been executed. What does the word of say, word of God say that they did? They made great lamentations. They made a big deal out of the stoning of Stephen. They knew how wrong it was. Brothers and sisters, I often think how we let the Sauls of this world affect our day-to-day lives. And we forget that there are devout people all around us that just need to hear the good news. We focus on the Saul's, don't we? The haters. They demand our attention. Sometimes we fear them. So we don't share the good news. We don't share the message that we have. With those that are willing to receive it, 
those who are willing to make it their own. We are called to be witnesses. We are called to shine the light into dark places. What does God's word say about salt when it loses its saltiness? It's good for nothing. Brothers and sisters, when we don't exercise our witness, we don't become fruitful in God's kingdom. Acts 8.3 But Saul was ravaging the church, entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This word ravaging here that we find is this is the only time that it's used in the New Testament. If you dig into that word, its root meaning is to rip apart. To tear down. To shred to pieces. This is what Saul was doing to the church of God. Brutal, sadistic, cruel. But listen to Paul after his conversion. Explain what he did. Paul, who was Saul on the road to Damascus when he was blinded, and God spoke to him, and God changed him, and he changed his name. But listen to how Paul describes who he was before his conversion. This is found in Acts 22, 19 and 20. And he said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. He's praying. Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. That's how they're going to see me. But because of your grace and your mercy and your good news and the fact that you chose me, and I accepted the gift. I will continue in your good work that you have prepared for me in advance to do. Saul's persecution leads to preaching. Acts 8, 4, and 5. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. The people that had fled Saul's persecution didn't run and hide. They didn't hide in caves. They didn't hide in the desert. No, they ran and spread the gospel message. 
What Satan means for evil, God uses for good. We know this to be true. This persecution promotes the very message it meant to destroy. This Philip that we read about that is preaching in Samaria, he's the Philips of Acts 6.3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. They were looking for somebody to serve tables, if you remember. Philip is one of these seven that they choose. Philip the deacon in Acts 6 is now Philip in Acts 8, 40 miles north of Jerusalem in Samaria, preaching the word of God to a pagan-slash-Jewish mixed culture. Now the Philip that we read about here also is called by another name. That is found in Acts 21.8. Now on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. God moved Philip from a believer to a servant to a preacher, to an evangelist. We're talking about times and seasons in your life. In the life of Philip. What is it that God might want you to be doing with your life in this season? And in this time, have you given him the time to use you in your days and in your weeks? He has a plan. But we've got to surrender ourselves to his ways in his wonder. Acts 8, 6 through 8. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had had them, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So they were so there was much joy in that city. Salvation always delivers joy. Do you remember the days of your salvation? When you came to an understanding of this free gift of what Jesus had done for you and that it, receiving that free gift you were promised a place called heaven for eternity. Do you remember the joy that filled your heart? Your first love, they call it. It is the first fruit, the best. Salvation, when understood and experienced, is an overwhelming joy. Remember the words that we find in God's 
language. Luke 2 describes joy like this. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great joy. No, they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. Good news of great joy. The words of Jesus found in 15 again. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete may be full. Joy. Salvation always delivers overwhelming joy to those that receive it. When we experience God's salvation and taste the kind of joy, we don't need to fear persecution. Especially from this world, in this time, and in this season, we need to be prepared. We need to expect it. It's going to come. It's already here. In fact, we need to embrace it. We need to keep courageous and bold with our witness. We need to proclaim the truth, and we need to share the good news. We need to remember that God's in control. He'll use our persecution to accomplish his divine plan, just like he did. In Acts 8, it won't come the way that we hope or the way that we expect. But we need to be ready. And we need to know that it's coming. The question is, when did Jesus become real to you? When did Jesus become real to you. Is Jesus real to you? Because if he isn't, there is a conversation to be had. I plead with you, I beg you, don't leave this building today without talking to somebody. If Jesus is not real to you. Kyle Eidelman's book <laughs> When I get to the end of myself, he speaks of a man named Brian. See, Brian and his wife had an 18-year-old, an 18-month-old son. And he didn't realize that an 18-month-old young man was strong enough to open the front door. Brian went out to go to work one day, opened his front door, went out, shut it behind him, went out around the house, got 
opened the garage, got in his truck, and backed up. Let's see, his young son had opened that door. Followed his dad out. Backed over him. And he killed him. Difficult times, difficult journeys, seasons that we hope nobody has to go through. But they come. It's part of this life in this fallen world that we live in. When has Jesus become real to you? When have you experienced, when did Jesus become real to you? Think about that for a moment. Was it at a difficult time? Was it when the divorce papers were signed? Was it when you was handcuffed in the back of a cop car? Was it when your doctor's test came back positive? Was it when your pregnancy test came back positive? See, many people, for many people, Jesus become real. When they reach the end of themselves, and they have nowhere else to turn. In difficult seasons and difficult times in our life. That's why it's so important for us to be witnesses. We spoke about it this morning in Sunday school. Because when somebody reaches the end of themselves and they have no place to turn to, leads to very dark places. But if you've planted a seed, if you've told somebody about a better way, when they reach it, they'll know where to turn. They'll turn to you. They'll turn to a witness of Christ's love, of that free gift, something called forgiveness, something called salvation. promise of a place called heaven. Let's pray as we end our worship portion of the service. Father God, we love you today. We thank you for your precious word that you give us. Father, we pray that you continue to pour into us that which you would have us to understand you and you alone have the power and the ability to open our minds to what it is that you want us to know. You set kings on high and you take them off that pedestal. Father, I pray that each and every heart that's here today will look to you for what it is that they need. They're hurting people in this room, I know. 
Father, I pray that they know Jesus, that Jesus is real to them. I just ask that you touch us fresh and anew. As we finish up this service here today, as we leave this place, go with each and every one of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.